Good morning, everybody. It's Richard Bovesen here until midday today. It's my first Christmas track I've played at Radio Path this year. It is the 7th of December, though, so you can kind of get away with it. And this was actually a choice of my guest today. So my guest today on A Story to Tell is the lovely Richard Saunders. And he's a cricket umpire, as well as many other things as well. And we're going to do a number of different sections. One of the sections I've taken from Test Match Special, which is uh, the Radio 5 broadcasting of covering cricket. And they do a section on there each year called Ask the Umpire. So the basic principle is... Think of a scenario in cricket and then ask the umpire what you should do. And you can kind of come up with the weirdest and wonderful salute or scenarios that you can possibly imagine. So we're going to be doing that a little bit later on. If you have any ask the umpire questions or any questions you want to know for Richard, all about being an umpire in cricket, then do email the studio at studio at radiobath.com or you can text Bath followed by your message to 80011. So please do get your questions in. Can't wait for this. I'm generally super excited. It is such a beautiful day out there today, isn't it? There's you two and beautiful day. Richard Bobson here until midday today. So, on a story to tell today, we have ex-REF officer and now cricket umpire Richard Saunders joining us to tell us all about the world of being a cricket umpire. Welcome to Radio Bath, Richard. Thank you very much. I'm going to move your microphone slightly closer. Okay. There we go. I can hear you now. It's all good. How are you today? Fine, thank you. Yes. Good, good, good. So, you're going to tell us all about being an umpire today. How are you feeling about that? Um, a little nervous. A little nervous. But excited, yeah. anticipation. Yeah. I think it'll be an enjoyable life event. I've been talking about this section. I've been planning this for about six months, I'll be honest with you. I've, so, Richard lives op- opposite me in our street, and I've been trying to catch him, and eventually I thought, <laughs> oh, I'm just going to knock on his door and, uh, and ask him to come on the show. And I'm so pleased that you've said yes. I'm a big cricket fan, and uh, we're going to try and make this as interesting as we can for those that even don't like cricket as well. That's quite important. But first of all, you are in the RAF as well for a little bit, weren't you? Yes. I spent 41 years as an officer in the Air Force um, and loved it. It gave me an awful lot of um, wonderful moments in life. I did things in the Royal Air Force that I would never have had the chance to do had I not joined the Royal Air Force. But after 41 years, I th- at the end of lockdown, I thought I'd done my shift. So I retired a year earlier than planned and um, moved on to other things. And those other things include being a cricket umpire. Absolutely. A game that I have a passion for, instilled in me by my father, who right. played years ago. Um, I started playing at the age of 11 when I went to the then City of Bath Boys School, which is now Beach and Cliff. Okay. And my father, um, having moved from Beck- moved the family from Beckington to um, Bath, he joined Lansdowne Cricket Club, which has a rich history in this part of the country for cricket. Yeah. Um, and I joined. I started playing there as an eleven-year-old, as a junior. Okay, so batsman or bowler or both or? Well, when I was at school, I was a first-change bowler. I could swing the ball, <coughs> okay. um, and I would bat middle order. Although the cricket master at school said that I moved my feet and I had a technique I could bat, so he did give me a chance to open the batting one game. Okay, I, l- I love the fact it's one game. <laughs> well, absolutely, because I went in number two. Uh, I was given a chance to show my skills as a batsman. Sadly. Very unfortunately, I was run out by my oh. opponent without facing a ball. Oh. So that was my batting career come to an end. However, I did go back to batting once I joined the Air Force and I was asked to go to an under-25 selection weekend. I went there on the premise of being a bowler 
who could bat a little, yeah. a medium pace bowler. But when I arrived there and I was looking at these other chaps in the nets who were bowling at probably about two or three yards quicker than me, saying they were medium pace. When the coach said to me, so you bowl and bat a bit, no, I said, no, actually, I bat and bowl a bit. Okay. So he gave me a chance to um, bat, and for three years I played with the RF Under-25 team, as was at the time, and I opened the batting for them. Oh, amazing. So, and then more latterly in my career, I was a bat- batsman wicketkeeper. And batsman wicketkeeper as well, so yeah. never got, got the chance to bowl much then? Well, I lost my run-up. <clears throat> it's something you have to practice. I used to stutter and jump, um, and my delivery wasn't smooth so and i was running um an R- uh, a cricket team at one of the rf stations and when i asked got all the players together before the season set asked who does what no one put their hand up to the question who's the wicket keeper okay my father was a wicket keeper i had all the kits so i started it yeah uh, and took it up and i really enjoyed it so yes i became um a wicket keeper and opening back so who has been your fate who's been your inspirational wicket keepers then so going back over the years oh my goodness there's been many well yes the first one that i can recall in my memory is alan knott okay um, and then other people have made an impact on me. I think um, Alex Stewart. And he was quite different, and he had an incredible role because, because he was captain, open the batting, and wicket-keeping, and Absolutely. that is... I don't know how he did it. Well, it's testament to the capacity of the man. Yeah. Um, because as far as my... If my memory serves me correctly, despite the, all those roles, I don't think he had a lengthy drop in no. form. He still performed. Yeah. Um, but the reason I took up wicketkeeping, as I said, because no one else was there, but as I soon learned, you're involved in every single mm. ball. You have to concentrate on every single ball as a wicketkeeper. Yeah. Uh, but as I matured, I don't like you words, get old, <laughs> but as I matured, I found having kept wicket for 50 overs in a league game and then asked to be up in the batting was a bit of a tall ask, so I used to drop down the, the batting order. Yeah, which is a natural thing. And, and wicketkeeping has kind of changed over the years. It used to be, so Jack Russell, who was a good wicket, an amazing wicketkeeper yeah. and a, a good batsman. He was yeah. never a great batsman. Where now it is much more the scenario that they are amazing batsmen and they wicketkeep. I think in today's modern game, you can't afford to be expert in just one discipline. No. You have to, if you're a wicketkeeper, you have to contribute with the bat. And we've seen that uh, in, in the modern era. Yeah. Same as um, if you're a batsman, an occasional bowler maybe but you have to be a good fielder yeah such as the standards in today's game particularly at the professional level well and even indeed in the in the um, recreational level uh, which i umpire the standards are so much better from when i was playing um people pay more attention and they make sure that they are good in at least two disciplines yeah absolutely so you you played for quite a while how did you then make the transferring going to be an umpire what made you want to become an umpire then Okay, well, I started, as I said, started playing at the age of 11, and I played every single season, bar two, when I was on military service down in the Falkland Islands. Although I did play one game in the Falklands. Okay, were the Penguins involved? In 18-mile-an-hour wins, <laughs> yeah, it was a bit chilly. <laughs> um, and when I came, I decided, when I was about 45 or 46, I was, I was keeping wicket in an RAF Cup final, and um, keeping wicket to a chap who was bowling quite quick, on a very fast pitch, bowling in excess of 80 miles an hour and I went one-handed for a ball that I had no right to get to and I didn't take it cleanly and I broke two fingers in my hand so that combined with the fact there was a youngster who wanted to keep wicket and I was blocking and I wasn't playing the same standard of club cricket that I had done in the past I decided to um, hang up my gloves as it were yeah yeah and when I sat and reflected I thought well I can't imagine a summer without cricket and I was still serving at the time and obviously involved in the uh, RAF Cricket Association. Um, and I was approached and asked, well, having played <coughs> representative cricket 
albeit at the um, under-25 level, would you like to become an umpire? We will send you to the RAF College Cranwell in Lincolnshire for a week on duty. Right. Where you will train to be an umpire, you'll do exams, etc. Uh, and then you can umpire matches. And to me, it was a no-brainer because I still wanted that connection with cricket. Had I not become an umpire, I'd have been down to my local club on a Saturday afternoon watching. Yeah. The best place, if you're not actually playing, to watch a game, in my opinion, is to be out there in the middle. And what a, what a view you get. Absolutely, absolutely. A privileged view. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I've always thought about the principle of, you know, and we'll talk about DRS shortly, but the, the scenario of watching where the, the bowler comes in. So as a cricket umpire, you're standing behind the stumps at the non-striker's end, yep. and the bowler comes in, and you've got to check for a no ball, Correct. which means looking down at the floor and then raising your eyes up to then see if it's whatever's going to happen. That's a split second. Correct. How do you cope with that? It is a challenge. And, again, uh, looking at the uh, recreational level, it is a challenge. Because in the Western Premier League, in which I umpire, I'm privileged enough to umpire, and next year I'll be umpiring in uh, the Prem 1 division, there are a number of uh, young pros, aspiring pros and senior pros, who are still very uh, good cricketers. For example, there was a, a chap um, who's bowled for the West Indies, O'Shea Thomas, I believe, was played for Froster last year. Okay. And he's been measured in excess of 85 miles an hour. So the time you have from watching <coughs> where he puts his feet, not only do you have to observe the front foot, you have to look where the back foot goes, because if the back foot is in a certain position, it's a back foot no ball. Okay. So having looked at that, you then have to look up to see where the ball pitches, uh, in case the ball strikes the, the uh, striker on the pads, there might yep. be an LBW decision. So it is a challenge. And at the recreational game, or level, we do not have the luxury of someone in the pavilion looking at TV pictures to advise us of the no ball. Um, but it's a challenge we have to rise to as amateurs. We deal with it the best we can. Yeah. Uh, and you build up a confidence. Is a bowler, you watch his front feet, is a bowler consistently close to the front line? If he's a, a few inches back, <clears throat> and, and it's all about rhythm, the bowling, and they put their feet in the same place. Yeah. If you look on the TV, you'll see the footmarks developing. So you have a confidence that he's well within the limits of uh, front foot no ball, so therefore I would start concentrating on where the ball pitches. Ah, okay. Oh, that makes sense. But uh, there's a balance. But at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is gather all the information you need in the time that you have, having seen it once only, yeah. to make the most accurate decision you can, and the best decision, and the right decision for the game. Okay. The right decision for the game. <laughs> well, yes. That kind of makes me think. So I'm going to think of a scenario here, okay? You've got a 50-50 choice, yep. okay? Or you've, you've make it... Uh, the ball hits the pad, okay? Yes. And it's clearly out. And for whatever reason, you've gone not out. And in your head, you've gone, I've made a mistake, okay? Let's think of the scenario. A few balls later, the ball hits the pad and it's a 50-50 call. Would you then kind of think, well, I made a bad call the previous one, so I'll go the other way? How would you deal with that? Well... <clears throat> Going back to the start of that scenario, the ball strikes the pad. The umpire goes through a certain number of questions in his mind to decide whether to give the, ball, the striker out LBW. So uh, there was no umpire on, in the land who would say, yes, all the questions I've answered in the right way, and therefore he's out, but I'm going to give him not out. Right. So you just wouldn't do that okay. because it's wrong. Now, umpires are human beings. At the recreational level, we do not have the luxury of technology to help us. The only thing we have is a book of the laws that we carry with us, which we can refer to. And, of course, we have our colleague, which we can consult. Um, 
if there's any doubt at all, you give it to the batsman. Okay. Unless you are 100% sure, in your own mind, that he's out, you will not give it out. Now, the, the, the bowler and some of the fielders may disagree with you. <laughs> And the wicketkeeper, for example, having been a wicketkeeper, yes, exactly. Now, and it's, they are quite within their right to disagree. How they deal with that disagreement, how they approach you, is a, is a separate conversation. Yeah. But they're entitled to their opinion. But at the time, I, or the, any umpire, myself included, will give the best decision he can based on the information he has. Okay. Later, you might be proved wrong, discussions, etc. But I say it's important to take your time, not be pressurised, take your time, go through the questions, consult your colleague if you need to, and information he... Because as I said, when I say make the right decision, people play this game with passion. Mm. They love the game, those that play it. So it's important that we do the right thing by them, but also by the game. Yeah. We don't want to upset people. Yes, umpires do make mistakes at times, but players make mistakes. Yeah, We're course. human beings. That's how they get out. But I certainly would not say, OK, I think I made a bum decision for the batting side, so the next call I'm going to give it to the fielding side. It just doesn't... You just don't... And it, any umpire who does that, I would venture to say, has no right to be out there. And I am absolutely 100% confident no umpire would. No. They will take every single decision on its own merit yeah. and make a decision on that alone. And they make the decision based on the information they've got in that split second as well. Absolutely. We see things, unlike the professionals, we see things once in real time and we make a decision. The yeah. best decision we can. So, you've, you've umpired quite a lot now, haven't you? Do you have yes. kind of like a, a favourite ground or a favourite match you've ever umpired in? Oh, my word. There are so many beautiful cricket grounds across the country. I mean, everyone has its own special and unique appeal. Uh, through my involvement in the military and uh, umpiring in the military, I've been very fortunate and honoured, indeed, to stand at Lords four times in the Inter-Services T20 competition. Uh, and also, through the military, I've been fortunate enough to stand at wonderful bucket list places for amateur empires such as Arundel Wormsley Estate uh, I've also been fortunate to stand at the Aegeus Bowl um, and they are fantastic these professional grounds um, but coming across this morning yeah. we passed a ground Hinton Charterhouse is a local ground is absolutely stunning and I've, I've passed that we were chatting on the way I've passed that ground thousands of times yeah. I didn't even know it existed no I mean, there are... Winsley's another attractive ground. Beautiful views. There are all sorts of... So would I have a favourite? I don't... They're all wonderful and unique. Um, I used to record the grounds I'd stood at. Sounds a bit anal, I know, but... (laughs) I used to record the grounds... But I've stood at so many now. I don't have a book big enough. Right. But um, they're all special in their own unique way. Amazing. Well, we're going to have a break for some music. It's another Christmas track. I actually really love this Christmas track as well. I'm, I'm not playing just Christmas tracks today. I'd just <laughs> like, like to point that out. But we, ha- we have got another one coming up. When we come back, we're going to talk all about the different ways of getting out, which I love this conversation. So uh, chatting more with Richard after this. So we're back. It's Richard Bovson here until midday today with Richard Saunders, who's a cricket umpire. And we're going to talk now about all the different ways in which you can get out in cricket. OK, but first of all, I love this phrase and I've, I've heard this many times. I've had it written down because it's really quite complex. But I'm going to try and explain cricket to those 
that have got no idea what cricket is, okay? And this is how much sense it makes. Let's see if it makes sense to yourself, Richard, okay? So, here we go. You have two sides, one out in the field and one in. Each man that's in the side that's in goes out, and when he's out, he comes in. And the next man goes in until he's out. When they are all out, the side that go that's out comes in, and the side that's been out, been in, goes out, I'm saying this so well, and tries to get those coming in out. I don't know why people find cricket confusing. Well, nor do I. It's no. a very simple game. And that is a very simplistic way of explaining it. <laughs> but, might I add, extremely accurate. <laughs> it's quite frightening, though, isn't it? It, it is. It's like, when you're in, you're out. And when you're out, you're in. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of... So, we've had a few questions come in. I'm going to ask you one very quickly, OK? This is from Richard Greatorox, who has been on the show before. He's also a cricket enthusiast. And, uh, yeah, he's also, you know, very good at cricket. Yeah. He asks, why do they call him Trigger? Oh, well, yes. Thank you very much for that, Richard. Um, I hope you're well. <laughs> uh, well, it's not because I was a character in Only Fools and Horses, that's for sure. OK. Um, the name Trigger, or the accusation of Trigger, is something that's uh, often given to umpires by players, uh, probably because they consider that they give people out too quickly. Right. And if I've given you out, Richard, in any game too quickly, then it's probably because I was absolutely sure you were out. <laughs> Well, of course. Uh, but the umpire will go through certain questions. Every single time they get an appeal, they will go through the questions and come to a decision. And it's important, I think, that the umpire takes his time to be considered in this so that they don't attract. But normally, uh, the name of Trigger, but normally players who um, invariably disagree with an umpire's decision, um, that's their way of showing their displeasure by calling an umpire Trigger. Fair enough. So there we go. Now, I know this is radio, but I'm going to try and describe it as you do this, okay? So, all umpires have a different way of giving their signals, okay? So, you've got the classic one, which is four, which is kind of horizontal shaking of the arm as it goes across. But most umpires have a different way of giving out, which, for those that don't know, is you raise a finger, I believe is... I don't know if there's actually an official way you're meant to do it, um, but some, like, have the raising really, really slowly. Others... Was it Dickie Bird had a crooked finger? Oh, that was the New Zealand uh, player uh, umpire, and yeah. then used to do this staggered raising of the arms for a signal six. Okay, so what <laughs> is your? If somebody's out, how do you say they're out? What What is your arm action? Sounds really weird question, but I'm intrigued by it. Well, again, having taken the appropriate amount of time to consider <laughs> your decision, gone through the questions, got to a point where you can say yes, the batsman is out. I quite simply just raise my right hand in front of my. Um, face. Let's with, let's have a look. I know this radio with the, oh. finger, with the finger extended. Oh, that is okay. I, I'm quite scared, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> now, when I went through the training at various levels, because there's there's a number of levels that you go through um, when training to be an umpire, we were always taught that the umpire should be Mr. Grey. If you come off the field of play and your performance has been unnoticed by the players, then you, one could argue you've had a good game. Yeah. So. I was always encouraged and taught never to do anything to attract attention to yourself. So this business about crooked fingers and the funny way you do signals, for me, I, I don't like that. Okay. And, and the signal of four, a lot of people... I mean, the signal of four, you start with the, your arm, left or right arm, across your chest, and it's meant to signify one, two, three, four... So for the benefit of the tape, because... No, we can't see Richard on Absolutely. radio. So he's sweeping his arm across from left to right. Four times. Four times, okay. To signif- signify... The batsmen have run four runs. Okay. Some people will stand there and wave their arm a dozen times. There's no need, in my opinion. It's one, two, three, four. And quite often they just do it once as well. I've seen that. It's kind of like a shaking of the hand. Well, like a, a it should w- be at least four times. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I, do you know? I've never noticed that. There's one um, umpire, professional umpire, who likes to push his arm from his chest 
out to the front. Right, that looks wrong. Which <laughs> looks wrong. Um, but yes, no, keep the... the there are illustrations of this, all the signals the umpires give in the uh, Tom Smith's Laws of Cricket and literature issued by the MCC. Keep your signals simple and clear. Clear is important because yeah. they have to be understood by the scorers and also by the players. Yeah, That's the way of informing them uh, your decision on, what, on what's happening. So just keep it simple and don't do anything elaborate. Um, yeah. Okay. Now, in the second hour, we're going to be doing the Ask the Umpire section. So, yeah. for those that missed the first part, just going to explain it again. So, what we'd love is for you to come up with scenarios. We've had loads on Facebook already given to us. Um, come up with some scenarios of something that could happen in a cricket pitch and what should the umpire do. If you do want to email in, it's studio at radiobath.com or you can text your message to Bath, to, f- followed by your message to 80011. Okay. Bath, followed by, by your message to 80011. Going to talk now quickly about the different ways in which you can get out now there are f- 11 official ways in which you could be out yeah. 10 proper ones and one extra one yeah there are five that are common so i'm going to ask you very quickly can you remember what the five common ways are yes. getting out bold okay <coughs> caught lbw run out yeah and stumped they are the five different ways okay the normal ways okay lbw stands for leg before wickets you're not allowed to put your that your pad in front how does it work if well there are lots of things to consider but essentially if the ball strikes you on your pad either front or back in line with the wickets and would have gone on to hit the stumps on appeal you'll be given out lbw there are other things to consider like was the batsman playing a shot where did the ball pitch for example if the ball pitches outside the line of leg stump, you cannot be out LBW. So you can stand um, like French cricket right in front of your stumps. <clears throat> so there are lots of considerations. But essentially, if the ball strikes you on the pad and would have gone on to hit the wicket, then you can be given out LBW. Now, we have the scenario these days, and you know some people will have seen this, some people won't, of switch hitting. Yes. Okay, so switch hitting, for those aren't aware, is where you start off, let's say, right-handed, and then you switch your hands over and then hit the ball effectively left-handed and it can make the field not be in the right place for, and therefore be quite effective. How does that work regarding the LBW rule then? Because effectively their left has become their right. Well, it, it, that, that, that would be covered in playing regulations. All leagues, competitions, uh, in addition to being played in accordance with the laws of cricket, will have playing regulations. Now, I can refer to, let's say, my experience in the military, for example, in the inter-services um, competitions where the Air Force, Army and um, Navy play themselves uh, each other once, the regulation says that if there is a switch hitting uh, takes place, then the striker loses their leg side protection. So in other words, they ah, effectively okay. have two offsides. So they can be judged out LBW, as long as all the other criteria for LBW yeah. are met um, uh, if they switch hit. Do you know what? I did not know... And I, I love this. I did not know that. I thought the rule would be that whichever way you started, that's kind of where you're at. So your leg side would still be your leg side. But you're now saying the leg side just disappears. If they switch hits. Huh? Once the ball becomes live, in other words, as the bowler starts their run-up, if they change stance and the bowler continues... Because the bowler has the right at any time, if the batsman moves in any way, the bowler can stop um, his delivery run-up. Okay. Um, and see what's going on. But if he continues, and the, and the batsman who started off, or the striker, should I say, starts off with a, a right-hand stance, i.e. the left side of the body facing the bowler, yeah. and then switches to the other side, he uh, yeah, effectively has two offsides. So if that's during their run-up, what about, because quite often, like, you know, you see quite often they, they flip it at the very last second, so that almost like the ball's been released, or the bowler's in his action. 
Um, is it still the same scenario? Yeah, yeah. yeah once, uh-huh. so, once the ball becomes... The, the important thing is when the ball becomes live. Which okay. When the ball becomes live, as soon as the bowler commences their run-up. Oh, right. Okay. Fabulous. Right, we're going to go on to the rare ones now. Okay. Yeah. And what I'm going to... I'm going to read out a rare one and then find out if you've actually ever given it. Okay, so hit wicket. Yes. Okay. It's kind of explain hit wicket then for okay. us. Okay. Again, once the ball becomes live, if the batsman in getting into position or the striker gets in getting into position to play a shot, steps on their wicket, or what has happened, uh, ducking to avoid a short, fast pitch delivery from a fast bowler, and the helmet's not on right, and the helmet falls off or whatever. Right. If any part of their equipment or, or uh, person hits the wicket once the ball is live, they can be given out hit wicket. I mean, most common one is. Um, Particularly against a fast bowler, uh, the batsmen will stand deeper in their crease. Yeah. In other words, stand closer to the wicket to give themselves just that fraction more time to play it. Yeah. And in doing so, they will stand on the wicket, break the bells, and therefore they are out hit wicket. Okay. Um, so, I'm trying to think of the person's name, just having that moment of where I was trying to think of the name, and it's gone for me completely. It'll come back to me in a second, but we'll come back to here wicket in a second, yeah. okay? <coughs> handle the ball is the next one, then. So, what's, how does handle the ball work? Okay, right. Well, the batsman, the striker can legally strike the ball uh, twice. Um, striking the ball twice illegally, uh, can be, they can be given out on appeal, but they can legally strike the ball twice if the second strike is to defend their wicket. And also bear in mind not stopping a fielder from catching the ball after the first strike okay because you quite often see the batsman picking the ball up and giving it back to yes them. yes well strictly speaking unless they have the permission of the fielding side as soon as they pick the ball up the fielding side could appeal right now in that situation as an umpire i would go to the fielding captain and say okay within the laws of cricket you're entitled to appeal but in the spirit of cricket oh here we go do the you wish of cricket do you wish to continue with the appeal and if he ha- if he says yes then the umpire has no other choice other than to give the batsman out okay. it's very unrare sorry very unlikely very rare and most batsmen will ask you know the ball uh, falls at their feet having played the ball etc it's quite clear the ball is dead um and they will say you know, either through um, motion or voice asked to return the ball and they pick it okay. up but if a striker for example hits the ball into the ground and it bounces and it looks like he's going to bounce on top of his stumps and he stands and hits the ball away i.e. protecting his stumps yeah. with the hand that is not connected to the bat that is handling the ball as well okay. and on appeal can be given out Okay, now we're going to go back to an incident that happened at Lords with the wonderful Johnny Bairstow going back oh, yes. to the stumping, yes. okay, and the spirit of cricket yes. versus the laws. So ex- for those that don't remember, which I'm sure there's many, can you remember how it, what happened? Yes, yes I do. Go for it. Explain to the general public what happened in this scenario then. Okay, the ball <coughs> was delivered. I believe it was a short pitch ball. It was a, uh, the test match at Lords um, this year. The ball was uh, short pitch delivery. Uh, Bearstow ducks underneath it. The ball went through to the wicketkeeper Carey. In one mo- and Bearstow then left, under the misapprehension that the ball was dead, left his ground to do some gardening, as we call on the wicket. Yeah. In one motion, Carey threw the ball at the striker's stumps, hit them, and appealed. Now, again, in terms of the law, absolutely entitled to appeal. And the umpire, if uh, they insist on the appeal going through, has no other option but to give it out. 
Bairstow left his ground under the misunderstanding that the ball was dead and the ball was not dead. Yeah. Um, now, I believe the umpires on field went to the Australian captain, Cummings, and said, OK, in the spirit of cricket, do you wish to continue with the appeal or not? And he said yes. So in that situation, the umpires have no option but to give the player out because yeah. it was within the laws. So it's entirely within the laws, but one would question whether it was in the spirit of cricket. Yeah. The lesson learnt for any striker is do not leave your ground until you are absolutely confident the ball is dead. Once yeah. the ball is dead, you are safe. I was listening to an interview with Stuart Broad um, a couple of months ago and he was talking about this incident because when Stuart Broad then went out to bat, he definitely had the red mist. He did. Yeah. Flying around everywhere. And yeah. you know, he was chatting to them and yeah. talking and you'll be remembered for this forever. And yeah, uh, and yeah he's actually quite embarrassed about how he, before, <laughs> how he was on this occasion now. And in my opinion, so he should be because <laughs> you shouldn't take that act onto the field of play. <laughs> No, but it made for a much more interesting test match. It is. But mind you, there's always historically been a degree of banter between England yes. and Australia, and that's part of the game. It is part of the game. But I'll be honest, I don't think Australia played anywhere near as well after that incident. I think that was the turning point of the whole summer, and that they didn't play anywhere near as well. And I think they were, as much as it was in the laws of the game and competitive spirit and all of that, I think it affected them, personally. I, I, I have no doubt it did, as did the reaction of, dare I say, the MCC membership as they walked back through the long room. Not the, not the normal decorum of the uh, MCC members. Absolutely not. No, which is very unusual. Right, must crack on. Uh, obstructing the field, have you done that? Yes. So how does this work? OK, if a batsman willfully instructs, uh, sorry, obstructs the fielding side... Um, then they can be given out. Okay. For example, uh, uh, an example that I came across when umpiring, in fact, quite early on in my umpiring life, as it were, uh, I was the, the, at the bowler's end. The ball was hit into the air by the striking uh, standing batsman. The ball went very high, and it, it didn't go very far. It was going to come to ground, in fact, fairly close to me. I stepped to one side. One of the fielders came running in to catch the ball. Meanwhile, the two... Uh, strikers started to run and as the batsman who hit the ball got close to the fielder he shouted rather loudly drop it right and as a result the fielder dropped it wow now obstructing the ball can be a physical thing getting physically in the way or it can be through uh, a verbal interaction okay and the fielding side appealed there you go and i gave the batsman out because his shouting drop it had an effect on the fielder who did drop it and therefore lost the chance to take the catch. Beautifully done. Uh, we've mentioned this one already. Hit the ball twice. So that's literally where you would... So you can hit the ball twice if it's in the same shot, can you? No, no. You can... <coughs> you can... You can uh, as long as... You, you can hit the ball twice legally if you are defending your wicket. As long right. as, in doing so, you're not preventing the wicketkeeper, for example, who might be stood up, in taking a catch. Ah, so if you <coughs> hit the ball in the air, for instance, and then as it was coming down, you're like, actually, I'm just going to swipe this away. Absolutely. You can't okay. You can't tee it up like a, you know... Right, fair enough. Like for a volley. <laughs> and very quickly, we had this scenario happen in the World Cup being timed out. Yes. First time, I believe, in yes. an international match. Angelo Matthews. Yes. Tell us about timed out. OK, at the fall of the wicket, the incoming batsman, striker, has three minutes to get to a position where they can take guard. Um, cricket is, is, is a timed game. Uh, for example, uh, certain periods of play, if it's, if it's a uh, multi-day fixture... Or, if it's limited overs, which is the majority of cricket I do, yeah. 50 overs, the fielding side have a set time in which to be in a position to bowl their last over. And there are only certain things that we umpires can add extra time on for. 
Um, so the, at the fall of a wicket, it's important that both umpires record the time of the fall of the wicket because the incoming uh, bats person has three minutes to get to position to take guard. If they take longer than that and the fielding side appeal, again, within the laws of cricket, the umpire can give the batsman out. But again, we would approach the fielding captain yeah. and ask, in the spirit of cricket, do you wish to continue with the appeal? So what was your thoughts then on Angelo Matthews being timed out? Because he had a problem with his helmet, didn't he? He did. Um, I mean, I was seeing, seeing uh, video footage after, after the event. I didn't see it live. But one would ask, if he had a problem with his helmet, instead of faffing around with the helmet, why not just get another helmet and carry on? Um, the on-field umpires decided... That they they're, they're the ones who have all the the facts. Um, what we're seeing is, is second um, hand news, as it were, and hearsay, and they decided that in the circumstances that he timed out. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> the time can be reduced. For example, you have less time to get to the wicket if you're an incoming striker for a T20 match, etc. Mm -hmm. So as long as uh, if it's in breach of the regulations that govern that match and the laws of cricket, the laws of cricket state three minutes at the fall of wicket. Yeah. Um, one could argue, uh, in terms of the laws, they did the right thing. One could argue in the, in the spirit of cricket, maybe the captain should have said, actually, I will, will withdraw the appeal yeah. and let Matthews continue to bat. But, but they didn't. But they, they kept didn't. it going. And, and, and as I said, within the laws, they were entitled not to withdraw the appeal. Fair enough. And the 11th one, which is kind of like out but not really out, is retired hurt. Retired, yes. Yeah, so this could be somebody that's pulled a muscle or something like that. Pulled a muscle, being hit by the ball number of reasons um heat exhaustion i mean we've had some very hot summers mm. you know temperatures of 40 degrees yeah um not enough fluids etc although we would never stop players either batsmen or fielders taking water uh, a drink on when they want to okay um and yes they can be retired out now if they are fit later in the game to resume their their um their uh, innings they can do so but if if they're not in a position so they haven't actually physically been bowled caught etc no but then they are retired. Okay. Yeah. And that's then when they could come back. So that's why it's kind of like the 11th, but not really. Yeah, they could, I mean, if, if, for example... Well, concussion. Yes, I was going to say concussion, actually, because that's been brought in much more. But then the medical staff would have a, an opinion, because right. if they are judged that normally, actually, thinking about it, if not, someone's suffered concussion, they would probably not take any part, further part no. in the game because of that uh, incident, and therefore they would be retired yeah. out. But heat exhaustion or something like that, they yeah. could go off yeah. and then come back on again. And the fall of and that wicket would not be credited to the bowler. Okay. Okay. Unlike the more traditional ways of. Um, Fabulous. Well, after the hour, we're going to start doing the RC umpire section. Oh so word. again, I know. So if you have any scenarios, I say we've had loads come in already. Um, text your message to Bath, followed by your message to eight double o double one, or email studio at radiobath.com. and we're going to find out. Think of weird and wonderful ways that you could be possibly out in cricket or any other scenarios. We'll be finding that out after the hour. the sax at the end there's Englishman in New York that's by Sting it's Richard Bovison here we're still going on I think it goes on for about another 20 seconds yet <laughs> still going 
great track. It is a great track, isn't it? By Sting. So, we're back, second hour. Story to tell today is Richard Saunders. He's a cricket umpire. It's still going on, by the way, in the background. Slowly fading away. Um, and we're go- now going to do Ask the Umpire section. So, if you have any scenarios you'd like to think about, then please do email them in, <coughs> studio at radiobath.com. Got a very quick question here from uh, Pete on Facebook. I think I know him. He's first of all asks, can you be out if the fielding side do not appeal? No, you can't. Okay. The, the laws of great state, the umpire can only respond to an appeal. So if there's no appeal, then the striker cannot be out. Unless, of course, they give themselves out. There's nothing to stop. The walkers. With or without an appeal, someone walking off. So yeah. can give himself out. But, uh, and, but the, the, the interesting question now is, what constitutes an appeal? Okay. Uh, the difference between an appeal and a celebration. Now, in my book, sticking your hands in the air and shouting, yeah, and running around, is not an appeal. A, a feather through to the wicketkeeper, the batsman will, will normally hold their ground and wait. Um, very rarely, in my experience nowadays, will, some, will they walk. Some do. Some people do walk, but uh, invariably they stay. Yeah. If there's no recognisable appeal, i.e. asking the question of the umpire... How's that? The umpire cannot give a person out. Right. For example, and I've used this when I've had this conversation with players, um, when you come out to bat and the ball hits you on the pads, there's no appeal, would you like me to give you out? The answer clearly is no. Hmm. So when you're bowling, if you think you've taken the edge, the right thing to do is not just celebrate, turn to look at me and ask me in the conventional way, how's that? And then I will answer that appeal. Yeah. No appeal, I cannot make a decision. There you go. So you've got your answer. The first ask the umpire. Here we go. Right, so some of these scenarios are slightly unusual, okay, because otherwise it wouldn't really be much of a section. And, uh, yeah, we're hoping that we've got some answers, okay? Now, John, is it John Holder who's the... I think it's John Holder. West Indian player, uh, turned professional umpire. He is the one that's famous for this section on Test Match Special. We're paying homage (coughs) to him today. Um, And uh, he always has the scenario of dead ball if he doesn't know the answer he always says dead ball always good get out (laughs) it's always good to get out right here we go the first one then so a fielder racing to stop a ball reaching the boundary bends over sharply to try to pick it up as he does so his hat falls off and the ball rolls over it slowing it down enough to stop it crossing the boundary what do you do right the fielder's equipment i his hat is what we call in play now, if it falls off accidentally as he bends to pick the ball and hits the ball, then it's part of the game. So we just carry on. Right. The fact that it was accidental has no impact. Now, however, if the fielder purposely takes his hat off and throws it at the ball, then that is illegal fielding. Okay. And that is penalised by five penalty runs. Good old five penalty runs. I listened to a podcast called Tailenders, which has Jimmy Anderson, Greg James, Felix White and Machin Tendulkar, who is a distant relative of Sachin Tendulkar. <laughs> Love it to bits. And uh, Machin wasn't a cricket um, enthusiast to start with. He ended up being on the show by being a caller on the show. Um, and his always famous thing is five runs is the most you can ever get, even though obviously six is the most you can get theoretically, although it could be seven, I suppose, with a no ball. But there we go. Um, moving swiftly on so that's it so that would be okay then in that scenario as long as it's accidental if it's accidental if the if the cap hat falls off accidentally in fielding the ball you just carry on magic right next one then i love this one Uh, a batsman hits a ball that will clear the boundary for a six but it strikes a bird in flight poor bird 
The ball drops down just inside the boundary and is caught. What do you decide? Right, this is very unusual scenario. <laughs> no. Highly unlikely, but however, <laughs> in terms of the laws of cricket... Very unlucky for the striker, I would say, but it's what we would term as an act of God. Right. And as long as the ball is caught cleanly within the boundary, having not struck the ground at any time, okay. the striker can be given out on appeal. Right. So this is just simply the bird just happened to be passing at the wrong time. Because I know they have the different rules for the uh, the cameras, don't they, that are in the in the air if it hits the camera or the rope or anything that 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 i believe is called a dead ball in the t- tv world but this is a bird just happens to be flying over act of god part of nature yeah. part of nature so the batsman <laughs> would be out on appeal yeah very unfortunate and highly unlikely to to occur but however you know it's uh, okay a possibility so let's go for a similar scenario then which again is another one that's been sent in if a dog ran onto the pitch and caught the ball and then the fielder went to the dog and picked the ball out of the dog's mouth. Would that be the same scenario then? No, that's not out. Oh, OK. <laughs> and that is... <laughs> one of the things you do as an umpire, you get to the ground um, nice and early. I like to get there, well, at least now, probably two hours before the start of play because there are certain duties you have to do. One is to look at the ground and make sure you are aware of any um, obstructions, i.e. within the boundary or overhanging the boundary. And also talk to the uh, hosting club about any local rules and laws, etc. And also discuss with the captains what will happen in the event of uh, an animal, for example, coming onto the field of play. Right. So a dog coming on and catching the ball, uh, we would call dead ball. <laughs> There's um, the dead ball, the first dead ball. Yeah, and, uh, <clears throat> and hopefully retrieve the ball from the, uh, from the dog's mouth before it ran, a- ran away. Yeah. But no, you cannot, uh, you cannot then... A fielder cannot retract the ball from the dog's mouth and appeal for a catch. Okay. <laughs> so the seagull's okay, dog not so much. Yeah. The difference is that um, the ball was... T- with a seagull... The ball was caught cleanly, okay, and not retained. I mean, it's these sort of scenarios highly unlikely, and they are <sighs> testing for the umpires. And and um, if it were to happen on the field of play, one thing I would certainly do before making a decision is go and consult with my colleague. Okay, uh, always do that uh, because two minds are better than one. But um, but I, I stand by the answer I've given anyway. Okay. And again, you, you always carry a small rule book, I believe, as well. We always carry uh, a pocket size, a bridge version of the laws of cricket. Um, because it's important that we umpires make the best decision and the right decision as best we can. Yeah. And therefore, take time, if necessary, to refer to your law book. You call dead ball, recover the ball, so that you've got um, control of the ball refer to your laws if necessary go and consult with your colleague what information does he or she have uh, what can they input to improve the, the your decision making process so that you can make the best and most accurate decision possible there's nothing wrong with that it's our version if you like at the recreational level it's our version of um, the technology that the professionals have yeah they will refer something to a chap sat in the um, or lady sat in the pavilion who will look at things numerous times in super slow motion and feed the information back to the on-field umpires. We don't have that luxury, but what we do have is our pocket-sized law book, and we have a very competent and qualified colleague to consult as well. That you would hope. Lovely. Right, next one then. This, this involves you. So, a batsman hammers the ball along the ground, and the bowler attempts to stop it with his boot. The ball ricochets off his foot, strikes your boot, 
and is deflected into the wicket, removing both bales. The non-striker who was backing up, that means he's out of his crease. He is out of his crease. Do you give him out? On appeal, yes. On appeal? So even though it's hit the umpire? Yes, because the umpire is part, again, what we consider in play, part of play. Okay. So if the ball rebounds off me and onto the stumps in that situation, then on appeal, the non-striker will be out. Okay. All right. Just had a question. In. Pete's, Pete's been questioning quite a lot. Is he? He has. Putting he's, me under the, under the spotlight. Yeah. Okay. So, so, what is the best instance of sledging that you have heard? Oh, my word. <laughs> so, explain what sledging is, first of all. Well, sledging is um, chit-chat that goes on between the players on the field. I mean, the Australians are renowned for it. Um, and it can take various forms. Um, there is certain banter, we like to call it, that goes on between the players. However, there is a... There is a line in the sand um, across which, if a player goes, then we, we start looking at player conduct. Um, once the ball becomes live, the fielders are to remain quiet. Right. So that the striker can receive the con- concentrate on the delivery in hand and play whatever shot. If there is sledging, which is chatter, talk, by the fielding side perhaps... Um, once the ball become live, the, the striker's well within their right to step away. And I've done this as an opening batsman. Um, certainly annoys the the fast bowler. So eventually when you, you stand and receive a delivery, chances are it's going to be short and fast. Yeah. Um, but sledging can take many form. I mean, the worst racial slurs, totally unacceptable. Yeah. Uh, homophobic comments, bad language, foul what we call disgusting and insulting language. Cricket is a passionate game, well, played by people with passion, and we understand that, and people get frustrated about things, and sometimes that frustration spills out with the use of of, of bad language. And we umpires understand that, but it's how loud, and and the actual words used, and was it directed or not, is what we need to consider. Yeah. So a, a bowler who is disappointed in not getting an LBW decision might swear to himself. That's fine, I accept that. If he uses certain words and it's loud enough to, to go across the boundary and can be heard by people off the field of play, then we are starting to consider uh, the conduct. Um, if his swearing is directed straightly at me or another player, and in our opinion, this is an important uh, phrase here, in the umpire's opinion, the players have their own opinion, but when it comes to these things, the only opinion that counts is the umpire's opinion. Absolutely. So in the umpire's opinion, his language was offensive um, uh, and abusive, then we can invoke Law 42, which covers uh, player conduct. Right. And they can be penalised. So, like in football, you can have yellow cards and red cards. Can you be sent off in cricket? You can. Okay. Yes, for a level three offence, which uh, involves some fairly serious behaviour, um, uh, in a limited overs cricket, which is 50 overs a side, which is predominantly the cricket I do, um, well, any limited overs cricket... If a level three offence has been committed, and again, a conversation is taking place with your colleague about the, what you heard, what you observed, etc., 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 and you come to that decision, then the offending player is uh, sent off the field of play for one fifth of the overs. So, in in uh, fifty overs aside, it'll be for ten overs. All right. To consider their conduct, and that is our equivalent of the yellow card. Yeah. Now, a level four offence is more serious and might involve violent conduct. Of violent conduct uh, uh, and physical contact between um, two players, 
Have you ever seen a fight on a cricket pitch? I have not personally. No. But I have been told, colleagues, other colleagues have seen it. I personally have given a level three in a right. match. Okay. Um, so a level four, violent conduct, you know, striking another player or an umpire, whatever the case may be. Um, then the captain is invited by the umpire to remove the player concerned. I love the, you know, cricket over the years let's face it has been played by posh people in the main over the years as it's gone by privileged people yeah privileged people that's a much better way of putting it than posh people <laughs> um it's not so much these days no, that no. you know it's absolutely. much more open to many more people but as i love it the should be. absolutely but i love the fact that the captain is invited to ask the player to leave the player field <laughs> absolutely i mean we i cannot say off you go i go to the captain and say right this player has committed in our opinion as the umpires i've consulted he has committed a level four offence for which there will be further actions. Um, but immediately I say, so he is to lead. I invite you to send yeah. him off. And he leaves the field of play and takes no further part. Yeah. If the captain disagrees and says, no, I'm not removing him, then the umpires will pull the stumps from the ground. And the game is awarded to the other oh, side. Oh, wow. Okay, so you do still have some power there. Then. Oh, yeah. So I was thinking then, if the captain was like, no, I disagree, you know, are you literally left hanging going, oh, okay, no, that's no, it. The game, we pull the stumps and the game is awarded to the other side. Amazing, amazing. Well, we're going to have some more scenarios when we come back. Can't yeah. wait for this. <laughs> right, so we're here with Richard Saunders. Stories to tell. We're in the Arsy Umpire section. Genuinely loving this part. The next one is an unusual situation, which isn't that much of a surprise for this. Okay, are you ready, Richard? Absolutely. Okay, so in a village... Now, if these always start with the village match, you know it's going to be bizarre, just to let you know. Okay, so in a village match, an elderly, overweight batsman who had obviously had a rich meal the night before repeatedly passes wind at the wicket. The wicketkeeper complains that the foul smell means he is forced to turn his head away and risk missing a catch or stumping behind the wicket. You suggest he stands well back, but the wicketkeeper complains that it puts him at a disadvantage. How do you respond? Well, yes. <laughs> Again, uh, um, okay. Well, the umpires have no authority. We have no authority to tell the batsman to stop passing wind. <laughs> Again, it's it's nature. So, the advice given is, as in the scenario, stand a bit further back. Okay. But if the wicketkeeper pulls away, let's say that it's a fast bowler bowling. Well, he wouldn't be close to the stumps anyway. So, low, low, uh, um, medium pace bowler. Some, umpire, uh, some wicket keepers will stand up. Yeah. But a medium pace bowler might take about a 10 pace run up. So, in, once the ball is live and the bowler is approaching the wicket, if he sees the wicket keeper pull away to avoid the <laughs> noxious fumes from the batsman, then the bowler can stop his delivery approach. Right. Uh, and the umpire will call dead ball <laughs> and we reset. But um, basically, not literally, but the, um, the wicket keeper will have to suck it up, if you know what I mean. <laughs> And just get on with it. Yeah. Because we, I cannot... The, no umpire's going to go to a batsman and say, no, here's a cork, would you mind? We, we don't have that authority. Do you not? No. <laughs> OK, let's, let's move on to... Uh, again, it, it, this could be possible. You never know. Yeah. Two fielders... We says, just trying to work it up. Two fielders, they are... 
His phone's just doing some funny things. Run to catch a high-dropping ball and almost collide as both manage to get one of their hands on the ball. Somehow the ball is not spilled and together they complete the catch. The batsman claimed he is not out, insisting that only one fielder can catch a ball. What do you do? Okay, in this scenario, again, highly unlikely. And these sort of scenarios, this, these are not the everyday occurrences. Really? And, <laughs> uh, and therefore they test umpires. And we would probably have to refer to our law book on the time, etc. But anyway... Uh, there's nothing in the laws of cricket that's saying that only one fielder has to catch the ball. The important thing is, was the ball caught cleanly? Right. So one fielder's got a hand on it and the other fielder's got his other hand. If the ball has been caught cleanly, then on appeal, the striker would be given out. Now, other concerns for me would be, how are the fielders in uh, after this event? Have they injured themselves in any way, etc., etc.? Okay. But no, just because um, you've got two different hands from two different players on the ball... As long as it's caught, the ball is in control, the fielders are in control of their movement, on appeal, the striker will be given out. Amazing. So two fielders can catch the ball together. In addition to that, though, we'd have to, the, the fielders would have to decide who is going to be credited with the catch. Oh, because yeah. it has to be recorded in the scorebook. So one or other would have to take credit for the catch, and that, you know, those people who keep statistics... That's the name that we've recorded. And people that love cricket love statistics. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It's what it's all about. Right, next one then. Two lightning-fast fielders running for, to make the same catch. We're on catching here. Realise that the high-flying ball will sail over the boundary for six. They react quickly, and one fielder lifts his teammate high in the air to catch the ball, like you would in cheerleading. Or like in a rugby line-out. Like in a rugby line-out. We'll go for that as well. Yeah. Both appeal. What's your decision? Again, uh, there's nothing in the laws of cricket that prevents that. Um, as long as the ball is caught cleanly, the fact that the catcher was assisted in getting to height by a colleague does not discount the wow. uh, the appeal or the fact that he can be give, the striker would be given out. Because they do some amazing catching on the boundaries oh, yeah, these yeah, yeah. days, don't they? Literally one person is Absolutely. almost flying behind the boundary, flicking the ball back, and the person inside will catch it. Absolutely. And... Uh, the, the, the fielder's awareness nowadays far surpass my awareness when I played, <laughs> but their awareness of where they are in relation to the boundary and the trajectory of the ball, and they will leap across the boundary, and as long as they are not physically in contact with the ground uh, over the boundary, flick the ball back to another yeah. colleague. On, uh, you know, the, the, the speed of thought... Um, and the awareness of that situation is... Uh, I take my hat off to them. Yeah. I was watching a, uh, a piece earlier on in a, a cricket match before the, the play actually started, and they were showing how they practice it. Yeah. Now, the bit that I would find the most difficult is not the catching or the throwing over or the catching on the other side. It'd actually be the batsman trying to hit the ball in the right place. So the accuracy of having that motion, of hitting the ball just over the boundary so they could practice that, that must be quite a skill to do. Yes, absolutely. And that's why these chaps get paid money to play the professional game. <laughs> More than you and I. <laughs> right, here we go. Last one for this section then. You signal a no ball, which then flies head high past the batsman, forcing him to take evasive action. In doing so, he steps back onto his wicket and dislodges both bales. The wicketkeeper appeals. What is your decision? So it's a no ball, but he's then hit his wicket. OK, uh, the no ball is called before the striker steps onto the wicket. And right. therefore, that takes precedence. Now, there are only certain conditions or uh, that you can be out uh, for a no ball. Which are? Which are... Um, 
Uh, I believe you could be run out, can't you? You can be run out. Okay. You can be uh, hit the ball twice. Yeah. Obstruction the field. And, and we were discussing earlier that handling the ball is now classed as obstructing the field. Is that correct? Absolutely. There's no. Um, there's nothing in the laws of cricket that's saying out handle the ball. The fact that a, a striker has handled the ball illegally, i.e., without permission, uh, what will be recorded in the scorebook is um, obstructing the obstructing the field. Okay. Amazing. Right, last one then. Okay. A legal delivery passes close to the bat, strikes a batsman on the pad in front of the stumps, loops up and is caught. Both the fielder and the bowler appeal for a bat pad catch. You're not absolutely sure if the ball touched the bat, but you are confident that the batsman was out LBW. What do you decide? Is it LBW or is it a catch? They've appealed, but they don't say they don't yeah. say I appeal for a catch. No, do absolutely. They? No, an appeal covers all forms of potential ways of getting out. So in that situation, uh, I would give if if um, I am confident there has no, been no contact with the bat, it's hit him on the pad, and all the criteria for an LBW decision are met. Going through those questions in my mind, then I would give the the striker out. LBW. Right. I would then make sure that the scorers understood my decision and were aware that he was at LBW and not caught. Okay. However, just to expand that scenario slightly, if the ball strikes the striker on the pad, meets all the criteria for LBW, but then deflects off the pad and hits the edge of the bat, and then is subsequently caught, on appeal, I would give the batsman out caught. Okay, why is that then? Because being out court takes precedence. First precedent is bold, second one is caught. Ah. So the fielders invariably are unaware whether there's been uh, a touch on the bat or it's straight on the pad or whatever, but uh, that's for the umpire to decide. So whatever they appeal, I will make my decision based on what I've seen, going through the questions in my mind, and then I will inform the captain, if I, if I give it out because it met the requirement, I would tell the captain I've given out LBW and I'll make sure the scorers have got the uh, information they require to complete the scorebook accurately. Amazing. So bold is the first way, then caught, and then it kind of goes down after that. Brilliant. We're going to come back with some more scenarios very, very shortly. Love Resurrection from 1984. What's that, nearly 40 years old now? (laughs) Alison Moyet here on Radio Bath. It's Richard Bovisan here until midday today. Story to tell, we got Richard Saunders in. We're doing the Ask the Umpire. This is our last section of Ask the Umpire, Richard. Three more scenarios for you. Okay. Okay, and they're, they're getting slightly stranger, if I'm honest with you. Okay, so here's our first one then. A fielder chases a shot out towards the boundary and reaches the now stationary ball inches from the rope. But before collecting it, he hears a shout from a colleague that the batsmen have completed four runs and have already crossed on their way to a fifth. Without hesitating, he nudges the ball over the rope with his foot, hoping for a four to damage to limit the damage. What do you do? Yes. <clears throat> right. Well, this has actually happened in professional games, I understand. Okay. And I think John Holder um, commented on it. But uh, kicking the ball over to uh, the, the boundary to stop them running five, uh, clearly not allowed. So the umpire's action would be to award nine runs, and I'll explain why. 
Nine runs. Yes. I've they, never heard nine runs. I'm so excited. They get the four runs that they've completed. Yeah. They get the run for one that they are in the process of because they've crossed. And the fact that the, the fielder has kicked the ball across the boundary, that's a four boundary as well. So there's a total of nine runs. So nine runs. Yeah. Amazing. I've, I've heard, you know, six runs for getting a six and then seven runs if it's a no ball. Um, but I've never heard of nine runs before. What is the most you can get? I'm oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to sit down and think about it. I'm trying to think. You get Six is the most you can hit with a bat, yeah. and then you'd have a no ball. But Well, again, going back to different competitions have a different set of regulations that run in parallel with the laws of cricket. And in some competitions, you have a, an award of two runs for a no ball. Yes. In others, you only have one. So in that scenario, if you have a free hit for a no ball, yeah. um, uh, you can get seven runs off one ball. Yeah. But, uh, or it I'd could be to, eight. Yeah, yeah I'd have okay. to sit down and think. Right, next one then. This and this is it. A, the square leg umpire. So for those who don't understand or don't know cricket much, you have an umpire that stands at the at the bowler's end, yep. and then you have a square leg umpire, which effectively is um, level with the batsman, but quite a long distance away. Well, close enough to be able to see the the striker's position. Yeah, close enough to be able to see what the wicketkeeper is doing in his his or her position. Uh, where their hands are as the ball becomes live, and also close enough, very importantly, to hear any mutterings. Any sledging. Uh, absolutely. So so uh, most limited overs cricket, uh, they have a 30-meter, 30-yard um, uh, fielding restrictions. Um, once the wicketkeeper stands, which is where I stand normally if I'm at the striker's end, traditionally called the, the square leg umpire, if the wicketkeeper stood up because it's a um, slow or medium-paced bowler, then I would take a f- few more steps forward so that I can hear what's going on. Okay, fabulous. So, the square-leg umpire, who recently retired as a player, forgets himself and instinctively takes a catch, throwing the ball jubilantly into the air. Before it lands, it's caught by a fielder who appeals. What now? So, the striker's end umpire has taken the catch... No, the square leg umpire has taken the yeah, catch. Yeah, that which is the striker's end umpire. Oh, yes, sorry, yes. yes so yes. he's taken the catch, he's under in control of it, and he throws it up in the air. Yeah. And then a fielder then catches the ball. Right, at the point where the umpire took the catch. <laughs> right. And the only, uh, the only scenario I can think of in taking a catch is t- for personal protection. Yeah. Um, i.e. the ball's coming straight at your face. It's an instinctive reaction to put your hands up there. As soon as the um, umpire has taken the catch, the other umpire should call and signal dead ball. Right. And as soon as the... Uh, even if they're late, the dead ball is as is timed as of when the incident occurred. Right. So even if the call of dead ball happens after the fielder has caught it, it's still from the time it was caught. So the umpire catching the ball, throwing it in the air, uh, dead ball is called, fielder comes in to catch it, not out. Amazing. And this is our last one. Our last one on, on Ask the Umpire. I'm going to get you back in next year. I'm telling you that now. <laughs> okay, so, so we've got many more to do. Right. This, this may happen. Who knows? Your fellow umpire is portly with a small moustache and you are short and thin. As you both walk out, you are greeted by the crowd singing the Laurel and Hardy signature tune, which they repeat every time a decision goes against the home team. Both captains suggest this is beginning to affect your decisions. How do you respond? Well, I would assure them that the <laughs> the reaction of the crowd is not affecting my decisions. I mean, it's quite uh, comical. But again, we have no <coughs> we have no authority to uh, <coughs> excuse me. 
So you can't tell the crowd what to do then? Well, I did once try at right. the behest of a captain in a match because um, the, the home team supporters were getting a little bit loud. They were enjoying a few beers, etc. Mm. And they were barracking the fielders. And at the request of the captain, I uh, went across and said, chaps, I hope you're having a nice afternoon. Just quiet and down. No need to give the fielders um, a hard time. And um, what can I say? I was told to go away. <laughs> In those terms? It, yes, absolutely, very politely. So I've never done it since, because I basically opened myself up to, um, well, a sticky situation. So, Lauren Hardy, no. No. You put your things... You concentrate on what's going on. You do not let these little things... You might have an internal chuckle, but certainly will not... No umpire's going to allow a thing like that to influence their decisions. And the captain might be of the opinion that's happening... All I can say to him, I assure you, Captain, it is not. Yeah. I am making the decisions based on what I'm seeing, and uh, hearing, etc. Players all have their opinions. And they like to express their opinions to the umpires. Which they're entitled to, as long as it's done in a polite and courteous way. And cricket is very much that way, Absolutely. most of the time. So I am more than happy to explain my decisions if asked politely by a fielder. But if they are aggressive towards me and swear at me, etc., 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 it's the manner in which they pose that question or express their opinion, then uh, there are ways I can deal with that. Amazing. Well, we're going to come back with a quick fire round very shortly. Haven't heard that song in years. Oh, we're playing up-to-date music today with Alison Moyer, 1984. When do you reckon that one was, Richard? Any idea? This is Matthew Wilder, Break My Stride. Late 70s? Not quite. 1983. 83, okay. Well, literally 40 years old, that track now. So but the yeah. 80s were a great oh, decade for music. What a great decade. Yeah, yeah I agree. Right, quick fire round. Oh, right. Okay. So, for those that don't know, there's 11 questions. Richard doesn't get access to what these questions are, unless he listens to the podcast. If you do want to listen to this again, by the way, uh, Life Off The Stage is the podcast which we release uh, <coughs> hopefully later on tonight, and it'll be a recap of this exact thing. And there's loads of all the other guests that I've had on over this past year. Right, so your first one that you do get access to, what is your favourite ice cream? Chocolate chip mint. Ah, oh, chocolate chip mint. Yes. Okay, the mint's unusual. Yeah. But very tasty. Very tasty. Very good. <laughs> are you tidy or messy? Now, you're an ex-RAF officer. Of course, you have to be tidy. Are you tidy? Um, I can <laughs> be. Uh, generally, yes. Okay. Everything in its place and a place for everything. Very good. Yeah. Okay. Love or hate roller coasters? Love. Love them. Okay. Which is your favourites, then? Oh, crikey. Well, yeah. it's a long time since I've been on a roller coaster, okay. but... Uh, I remember taking the girls, my two daughters, on a trip to Alton Towers. Uh, and I can't remember the name of it, but it... Um, I can tell you all of them. I've been many, many times. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. Nemesis is the one ne- that's... That was it, Nemesis. Because, I mean, I was younger... In my younger life, I was fortunate to do a little bit of flying in a, in a jet. Um, okay. And uh, a roller coaster just takes me back to there. I yeah. mean, I was a bit of a adrenaline a junkie. Uh, but now, more mature in, in years, I avoid them because... Upsets the balance, as they say. It does. There's official reasons for that, which we won't go into now. But, uh, yeah, as you get older, you yeah, it yeah. does become more difficult to accept roller coasters. My tip for everybody, which I've always ever said, is I take travel sickness pills before I go to a theme park. And then I can actually go on the rides, and it's all food. All yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. Right, do you hang your toilet roll over the top or behind the back? 
over the top. So the you next had to sheet think of, about it. Over the top, because so the next sheet available is closest to me. That's absolutely the right way of doing it. <laughs> but literally, I, I, whenever I ask that question, everybody just blanks for a second. They just picture their bathroom. I do it subconsciously when I put the. So I, that's why I thought. Yeah. Well, subconsciously, I put the toilet roll on the holder. So the yeah, there we go. Very good. Uh, do you eat your chocolate from the fridge or from the cupboard? From the fridge. From the fridge. Why from the fridge? Nice and cold. Stops it melting. Yeah. Makes it nice and crunchy. I love chocolate from the fridge. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, do you? And I'm, I'm hoping I know the answer to this one. I don't know why I turned into a posh voice then. Um, do you make your bed in the morning? Yes. Why? So this nice and neat and tidy when I want to go to bed. Fair enough. Now, here is a question. I'm intrigued for yourself. Okay, so um, do you have any cushions on your bed? No. No. Why not? <laughs> because I I have two pillows each side, and that's sufficient for me. Oh, actually, if I'm watching TV in bed, yeah. which is quite a decadent thing to do, then I have one of these V cushions, right? Which I place behind me. But it's not laying on the bed as a decorative thing. It's it's in the corner of the room. Yeah. So as I'm off to bed to watch Match of the Day, for example, on a Saturday evening, I pick up the cushion so I can sit upright. Absolutely perfect answer. Cushions are just simply wrong in bed. <laughs> <laughs> we have six. Um, <laughs> what is your favourite breakfast? Full English breakfast. Full English. And classic Danny Baker moment, red or brown sauce? Brown. Brown. That's your brown sauce. Again, when I was younger, living as a single officer in the officer's mess, I was active enough to be able to enjoy an English breakfast every morning. Now, um, you're not so active. It's once a month treat. Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, What is your, if you had to do it, what is your go-to karaoke song? Oh my goodness me. I know. This is the question everybody always just looks at me and says, really, are we doing this? But we are. Oh, I don't know. Um, Something will come to mind that you're like, oh, I've done that in the past. Well, yeah, I think the last time I did anything like that was You've Lost That Loving Feeling. Okay. And which was, uh, which is um, a reference to the Top Gun. Yeah, yeah. That's a- great. Away on detachment, doing that sort of thing. Amazing. And, uh, and for the benefit of the listeners, will you give us a very quick rendition now? Absolutely not. Oh, <laughs> so... I, I'm, the only times I sing nowadays are in the shower or in the car. Yeah, when alone. <laughs> that's that's all well and good. All well and good. It's um, I I love doing karaoke. It's the hardest one is when I have live lounge guests. Yeah, and uh, they come in and I say that same question to them and they feel pressurised. They like go, oh, now I need to sing again. Really? Yeah. I never felt that at all. <laughs> Did you not? No, you didn't have to. Uh, Favorite TV program or film? Uh, favourite film would have to be... I, I enjoy films that are linked to reality. Now, okay. I understand there's an awful lot of poetic licence, but one thing I think is fairly close to reality, having read a lot about it, was Black Hawk Down. Right. Um, I know it's a war film, it's not everyone's... But to me, it's I enjoyed that. So what what did you enjoy about it, then? Well, the fact that it, it was a, a fairly accurate... Um, coverage of of what actually happened i mean i've read the book that was written by uh, people involved um and it's a down-to-earth true war film there's no invented romance going on or anything like yeah. that it's just straightforward this is what happened and a very sad event um hmm. but yeah no, that's a good film i think okay and tv wise tv um do you watch tv much 
Uh, my TV viewing has ch habits have changed. I hardly watch the, the only thing I watch live nowadays tends to be the news. Other than that, I tend to record it, yeah, so that I can watch it in my own time. And if there are adverts uh, concerned, fast forward, yeah. Um, th well, that's two, two things, I and mean, one will probably shock people. <clears throat> um, I love Only Fools and Horses. Who doesn't? And this is paying homage to my late mother. When my father died, mother was alone. I used to go across to to her on a Saturday and sit with her because she enjoyed Strictly Come Dancing. Ah. Oh. And I must admit, I got quite into it. So I'm not ashamed to say now that I do really enjoy Strictly Come Dancing. There's nothing to be ashamed of watching Strictly. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, I pay homage to it every week <laughs> as, as a dance professional myself. So, yeah, you've got to watch Strictly. It's, uh, who do you think's going to... Are you watching the current series? I am. Who do you think's going to win? Well, uh, I think... Oh, I've forgotten his name. The the young... Leighton yeah, or Bobby? Layton. I think, well... Leighton. Leighton. But, but I think he's, he's got an advantage because he's done dance training in the past. Leighton is by far the best dancer. I don't think yeah, yeah, that's yeah, in yeah. question, but I'm not sure whether people are loving his journey. Well, that's the thing because it gets to a certain point where I think it becomes more of a personality contest as opposed yeah. to a dance contest. Absolutely. But, uh, we will find we out. We will find out, yeah. I don't think he's going to win. I would love to be able to do it. Well, yeah. come along to Ciroc and it's the first starting point I was for going you. to until I so. broke my ankle, but there we go. There you go. <laughs> right, two questions. If you came back in your next life as an animal, which one would you be and why? Tiger. Tiger? I love tiger. Go on, tell me why tiger. Because I think it's the most magnificent animal, in my opinion, and we all have different ones. There is. Yeah. I mean, it's just majestic. It the colouring, the strength. The Yes, no, I, I just... Always has been my favourite um, animal. Hopefully I'm going on India, t on cricket tour in the near Brilliant. future okay. and one of the things I hope to do in my downtime is go to the um, see the tigers there amazing and your last question where is your happy place my happy place has to be home has to be home yeah gorgeous that's you know that's where you're safe you have time you're surrounded by your own personal belongings um yeah what a lovely answer Richard thank you so much for coming on today I hope you've enjoyed it Absolutely. It's been a pleasure.